You're listening to One Life by Mo, a Patagonia music benefit track for the Rainforest Action Network. One life is all we own. One life is Introducing Patagonia Music, exclusive songs from your favorite bands to raise money for environmental activism. Search Patagonia Music on iTunes or download the free Patagonia Music iPhone app and you can stream the Dirtbag Diaries wherever you roam. Everything by the side of the road. Patagonia Music. Buy a song, benefit the environment. Learn more at patagonia.com slash music. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. You are still so young. When I was a little kid, I loved baseball. I loved watching it on TV, I loved playing it, I loved collecting baseball cards, I loved looking at stats. A couple times a year, my dad would take me to see the Oakland A's and the famed Bash Brothers. This was Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. I would leave intoxicated on our national pastime. These guys were awesome. They were kind of my heroes. Nope, they were totally my heroes. Especially McGuire, who seemed to epitomize hard work. He wasn't as naturally as gifted as Canseco and not nearly as cocky. He just seemed to work for it. In 1998, I was a lot older. I was old enough that baseball wasn't such a big deal in my life. But McGuire was chasing the single-season home run record, arguably the most important record in all of sports. It was this, this record that statisticians thought would last forever. It had been decades since it had been challenged. And McGuire was up against history. He was up against the impossible. He was the underdog. And just like a lot of America, I watched. It was a special moment. And then I watched a few years later. It's part of your training routine. In addition to Andro, which was legal at the time that you used it, what other supplements did you use? I'm not here to talk about the past. Nice, Mark. Nice. And all the blood that once pumped is now gone, lifted up from off the ground like strands of hair towards the sun. But it's not I don't watch too much baseball these days. As I age, my understanding of the term hero has deepened, evolved, and maybe even disintegrated. There are no Mark McGuire's in my life. I don't even know if I have a hero. I'd struggle to give you an answer if you asked me that question. I think the term gets tossed around so much that it begins to cheapen it. I just don't know if I believe anymore. I get the components. I understand what might make someone seem heroic. I recognize and admire these qualities in my friends, its smarts, its strength, curiosity, creativity, and grit. When I say grit, I mean tenacity, determination. Grit is the currency of underdogs. And the underdog is as potent a myth as America can produce. It pervades film, pop culture, music, politics, and sports. So much so that sometimes it's easy to think, is this for real? Today, Brendan Leonard presents The Way of the Underdog. Look around. There might just be a hero amongst us. Hey, he might even just make me believe. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries.
Jason and I lay next to each other in a tent perched on a snow slope at Helen Lake on the side of Mount Shasta. It was the night before our summit day. In a few hours, we would cramp on up hard snow for 4,000 feet, mostly in the dark, as part of a fundraising climb to help inner-city teenagers receive a taste of the outdoors. Our friend Rob was sleeping like a baby, but neither Jason or I could sleep. I had a thumping headache from the altitude, although I thought Jason's might have been worse than mine. The previous night's dinner was bean burritos, and a few hours earlier, lentil curry. I thought I was trapped in the worst-smelling mountaineering tent in the history of mountaineering. Maybe in the history of tents. There was no air movement. I rested my forearm on my head to relieve some of the pressure. A small rumble came from somewhere in the tent, which meant it was about to smell 5% worse. I wanted to get out of the tent. Jason started shaking next to me. I looked over at him, and he had his arm over his head, just like I did. But he was laughing. Jason is one of my closest friends. When one of us is contemplating a major life decision, getting divorced or leaving a perfectly good job for a nonprofit gig, we often find ourselves on a 10 or 12 mile section of trail. Colorado's Indian Peaks, the Flatirons, the desert just outside Las Vegas, or at our annual Thanksgiving gathering in Canyonlands National Park. We have a focused conversation that you just can't have over the phone or in a coffee shop where there are interruptions and distractions. We go places without cell phone signals, and we solve our problems, in single file on dusty trails where it smells like pine trees or sage. We grow closer and help each other steer our lives. We first met as bartenders at an Applebee's restaurant in college. We would pour 23-ounce beers and blend strawberry daiquiris for hours, then use our tips to buy each other whiskey until we were falling off bar stools. Now, Jason's resume includes titles like political director, campaign manager, and bullet points like managed $2 million budget, oversaw 50 staff members, and largest turnout in the history of the state. It's not what I would have imagined for one of my best drinking buddies in college. And the people who knew him in his early years probably didn't think he'd ever make it as far as college. He grew up in Burlington, Iowa, a tough town of 25,000 people on the Mississippi River. You know, my parents got divorced at a very young age, you know, when when I was in third grade. Um, and my mom was a single mother raising six six kids. Everyone was sort of spending for themselves. Uh, there was a time when um, I was growing up when uh, we, we, my mom couldn't afford uh, a house, so we had to move into abandoned, abandoned, uh, what was the women's shelter home that had been abandoned, and we moved into it. It would have been the fall around... Um, beginning of school and that was that was probably one of the more difficult times because it was you know I was I was in middle school I was starting football you know I think a headline ran in the newspaper at the time you know signs homeless you know I, I was getting made fun of I was getting picked on um and you know, I wasn't part of the cool club and my family definitely wasn't part of the cool club and that's what it sort of seemed like
Jason was laughing. I was worrying about altitude sickness ruining my summit chances and wondering if methane asphyxiation was real, and Jason was giggling like we were goofing off in high school history class, and he was the one with wet rental boots to worry about. Though we had stuffed newspaper pages inside them to help dry them, I still worried his feet would freeze in the pre-dawn cold. Most people might have had a hard time finding humor in the situation, especially since we were getting up at 1 a.m. to start our hike up a steep incline, but not Jason. He doesn't know how to feel sorry for himself, or how to stop smiling, no matter how bad it gets. It had seemed improbable that we would even end up in this stench-ridden tent. When I first talked to Jason about climbing Mount Shasta, he had plenty of reasons not to go. A busy summer of traveling to weddings and 65-hour work weeks at his job left no time to train for the climb or raise the money. He had been above 12,000 feet once, and he never walked in crampons or used an ice axe. Still, I asked Jason to do the climb because even with all his doubts, I knew he could do it. Because compared to everything else he's done in his life, the mountain was a small challenge. Sure, it rises more than 14,000 feet above sea level, and most folks spend a couple of days on its easiest route. But it wasn't something that Jason would back down from. In my eyes, Mount Shasta should be a walk in the park for Jason. And I remember one time there was this kid who was always picking on me every, every single day. And I must have had one heck of a morning fight with my mom or something that morning because when the, the kid book dropped me and uh, it wasn't about two seconds that I just went into this kid and started uh, beating his ass. Uh, and I had never been in a fight before. You know, I had wrestled. And that's basically what I did. I put the kid in a headlock and I just started pounding the shit out of him. Um, right in front of the principal's office. I didn't care. Uh, and ended up doing this right in front of, like, the other school bully. Um, and I got suspended from school. But, you know, the next the next week or so, you know, as I went to school, it was like I instantly got respect. So even though I was poor white trash, I had all of a sudden created, like, a status for myself. And that was, you know, a little fighter that wasn't going to take shit. In junior high, Jason decided to give wrestling a shot. For two years, he didn't win a single match. He got pinned and beat on points match after match, but he didn't quit, and eventually he won, and kept winning. His freshman year, he made the varsity squad. Though he succeeded in one arena, the small-town gossip shadowed him. I mean, I was labeled as a trouble kid. I mean, I remember dating a number of girls who, who were just these beautiful angels, and then, you know, they'd end up breaking up with me because they're like, oh, my parents say I can't date with you, but you're really nice. I like you, you're so awesome, blah, 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 but if I date you, I'm going to get kicked out of my house, <laughs> you know, and it was, it, you, you know, you're labeled in a small town, and I was like labeled as, you know, the bad kid, never going to amount to shit. Jason chatted easily with the five other members of our team as we hiked to Lake Helen on our first day. At base camp, Natalie, our Russian-American guide, was all business as she reviewed self-arrest and rope techniques. We remained serious during the vital skills, but any time the guides weren't telling us something, Jason was the same gregarious guy I attended bar with. At dinner, Jason naturally dismantled the typical client-guide relationship, cracking jokes and flirting with Natalie. He bragged about his recipe for monster cookies, saying he'd bake and mail a batch to her when he got home. 
As we emerged from our tents into the cold night air on summit day, we roped up, most of us with our heads down, concentrating on keeping our crampons off the rope and breathing in the thin air. Jason charged up the mountain, peppering everyone on the other rope team with running commentary all the way up. In the cold darkness, he spurned his down jacket during rest breaks. Even his feet didn't freeze in his wet boots. The sun emerged over the horizon as we climbed above the red banks. Perched on our island of snow and rock, the rays lit up the sea of clouds we had climbed through. We trudged up and over the last 800 vertical feet of snow on Misery Hill, reaching the summit at 7 a.m. We had the view all to ourselves for 15 minutes, looking down on seemingly everything within 100 miles. Lassen Peak, 75 miles to the southeast and almost 4,000 feet lower, was the only thing that seemed close. Jason was ecstatic, but not surprised that he had made it to the top. I remember going to the counselor's office and I was like, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about college. I didn't think I was talking about, you know, community college maybe. And I remember him just clearly looking at me to this day. Oh, no, 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 no. College is not for you, Jason. You just sort of need to get a job where you can work your way up and just stay there. That's, that's where you should do. And I remember being like, F you, dude. Like, I can go do this if I want to. Jason didn't have parents who could pay his college tuition. He would graduate with just enough credits, but he couldn't read fast enough to finish the ACT exam because of his dyslexia. So he went to community college, spending hours at home learning the material and taking his books to work so he could study before and after his shifts. He graduated with an associate degree after two years and enrolled at the University of Northern Iowa. A professor encouraged him to apply for a job as a canvasser for the Iowa Democratic Party, and he spent his summer knocking on doors in Iowa City asking people to take political surveys. Instead of walking from door to door, he would run, hustling to get more completed surveys than anyone else. It was a start in politics. The next summer, college degree in hand, Jason was offered a field organizer position for the Iowa Democratic Party. From there, he stacked his resume with more important titles, field and canvas director and campaign manager for U.S. Representative Leonard Boswell until Jason was meeting with people who had private security and titles like Senate Majority Leader. In 2008, the Nevada caucus was moved from 16th to 4th. The West was the focus in the 2008 presidential election, and everyone was watching Nevada. It was a high-pressure role with an uncertain outcome. Jason was picked to pull it all together as the caucus director. After several dozen summit photos, our group began plunge-stepping down the first several hundred feet of the soft snow, then dropping onto our butts to slide down the well-established glissade tracks in Avalanche Gulch. Jason's enthusiasm for glissading was unmatched. He looked like a kid flying down a water slide for the first time. After packing up camp, Jason continued glissading even on the lower-angled slopes of the mountain, where it was hard to get a good butt slide going. I kept sloppily plunge-stepping down the mountain, singularly focused on a cup of coffee back in town, but I would look back every few minutes and see Jason yelling and laughing as he slid down the snow. When our tough guy climbing and heli-skiing guide would run and give him a push to start his glissade, 
I felt like I was watching a five-year-old and his dad on a playground swing set. Back on flat ground, we got to work eating. Three egg breakfasts with stacks of pancakes, one pound cheeseburgers with fries, chocolate milkshakes. I got to say, I told you so, reminding Jason that the climb wasn't nearly as tough as he had thought it would be. We clicked through each other's cameras looking at our photos of the climb and laughed about the smell in our tent. I know if I work hard enough that I can do any job. And, like, I don't really think there's... When someone says, you know, can you do this, I don't really ever think I can't. I mean, that doesn't even, like... I mean, if I wanted to go be a doctor or astronaut or whatever the job, I, oh, sure, I can do it. All my life, doubt has simmered under the surface. I felt I didn't deserve a spot on the varsity team. My writing wasn't good enough for this magazine or that publisher. I wasn't the one for the woman I cared for. We unconsciously inherit traits from the people who raised us. Stubbornness from mom, a love of wild places from dad. And then there are the traits we aspire to, to become a better person. When I was young, I put my heroes on my bedroom walls, dunking basketballs, catching touchdown passes, and wailing on guitars. As an adult, I still have heroes, but I put them in my heart, where I can remember them as I try to be a better person. Jason has shown me how to live fearlessly and confidently, to fake it till I make it, to continue being good to people and to make sure they never forget me. And when women leave me, or rejection letters arrive, or I fail to grasp that last hold on a route, I don't feel sorry for myself, because I know Jason has never felt sorry for himself. By knowing him, I've learned that struggling is one of the most formative and beautiful parts of our lives. Brendan's been road tripping for the last month, just visiting friends and new places throughout the West. Whenever he lands home, I'm guessing he and Jason will have some hiking to do. It's that time of year. When the days are getting colder, the nights darker and more terrifying. That's right, Tales of Terror. Our annual Scary Stories episode is on the horizon. So if you have a frightening tale to tell, write it up and send it into the Dirtbag Diaries at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net by October 16th. If your story is selected, you'll win a Dirtbag Diaries sweatshirt. Once again, that email address is dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. Music today by Hospital Ships, The Idle Hands, Sea of Bees, and Oaks. You can download the cuts and find links to learn more about the artists at dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the show comes from Patagonia. Their latest digital catalog for surfing includes videos, photo podcasts, clothing, wetsuits, boards, and always amazing photos. It's pretty freaking cool. Check it out at patagonia.com. Support for the show also comes from Kuat Racks, who unveiled the Bottle Lock at the Inner Bike Trade Show. It's a water bottle canister that contains a retractable five-foot key lock. It's pretty cool. You can friend them on Facebook and stay up to date on their latest products at kuatracks.com. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing. Follow your folly. That was Brennan Leonard. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.